Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Dear listeners, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, and welcome to another episode of Friday Night Live. Our show today is going to be about White Ribbon Day, about the um, domestic harmony campaign, which is starting this year, and about violence towards women and domestic violence, inshallah. So, the, I'd l- first like to tell you about the story of White Ribbon Day. On the afternoon of 6 September 1989, a man walked into the École Polytechnique University in Montreal and massacred 14 of his female classmates. His actions traumatized the nation and brought, brought the issue of violence against women to the forefront of our collective consciousness. Two years after, a handful of men in Toronto decided they had the responsibility to speak out and work to stop men's violence against women. As a result, the White Ribbon Campaign in Canada became an annual awareness-raising event held between the 25th of November and the 6th of December. So in 1999, the United Nations General Assembly declared 25th of November as the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women with a White Ribbon as its iconic symbol. Uh, White Ribbon Day started in Australia in 2003 as part of UNIFEM, now the UN Women. It formally became a foundation in 2007. So this is why this is how uh, White Ribbon uh, came to be. So why are we trying to engage men, or why is this campaign trying to engage men? Because the violence against women is deeply is a deeply personal issue for women, and it's also very much a men's issue because it is their wives, mothers, sisters, and daughters, and friends, whose lives are being harmed by violence and abuse. Um, most of us have heard a story, or seen with our own eyes, or even experienced um, violence of this nature. Now, again, um, this show we're talking about violence against women, about white ribbon, but we're also talking about domestic violence because they're both equally important. I myself, um, I remember very clearly two stories. Um, I remember them because they were very um, frustrating to me that, you know, there are people who still, you know, live today who do these sort of things. I mean, the first story was a man, this was in uh, Ireland, and there was a man walking and he was wearing, you know, very Islamic religious clothing, long beard, uh, you know, had, had the thobe above his ankles. His wife was uh, walking next to him with niqab. A gust of wind uh, blew her niqab off her face for a little bit. And the man just turned around and punched his wife in the face completely on the ground. I mean, this cannot be classified as any sort of justification for violence it can't be said that he because he's from a certain country or a certain religion or a certain school of thought this is just something very criminal another story i remember uh when i was back home that uh, a man was very upset with his wife because she gave birth to four uh girls and he wanted the fifth um to be uh, a boy and when the wife gave birth to a girl he of course became very angry screamed at her divorced her and walked out of the hospital now of course you know notwithstanding the um issue of uh, ignorance in that matter but it's just the the, the fact that men can feel so um, justified and sometimes feel so easy to uh, cause any form of abuse to women and that's what we're talking about today inshallah so I have two guests with me Um, the first one is Zainab Hawa who is one of the coordinators of Domestic Harmony and currently studying a Bachelor of Arts Law at UWS and also Sister Maha Najarin who is who also has a Bachelor of Arts with a major, major in psychology and is currently a solicitor which provides legal advice and representation in family and civil law matters. And we're going to be talking about these issues, inshallah. So first of all, 
We um, heard a little bit about um, um, White Ribbon Day. We're going to hear a bit more about domestic harmony. So, Sister Zainab, first of all, welcome to the station. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And also, Sister Maha, uh, welcome to the station. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you. Wa alaikum assalam. So, um, please tell us a little bit about domestic harmony. When did it come about and what are its intentions? So, the domestic harmony campa- campaign uh, came about. Um, through my personal experiences of seeing somebody go through go through abuse at home um, and I think it was something very troubling for me to see somebody so close go through that that I wanted to do something I think more than anything what really frustrated me was to see the the relatives reaction to it it was a very um, it wasn't a very positive one. There wasn't support. Um, in fact, the victim was encouraged to leave the house and the perpetrator stay at home. And I think that's where we go wrong. I think we we sort of, um, we don't fix the problem. That's a Band-Aid solution because the problem is the men's mentality and the the lack of respect to the woman. And I think when we keep that problem in the house, then that doesn't really do anything to actually solve the situation at all. Um, and I recently did a Muslim leadership program which the Islamic Council of Victoria and La Trobe University coordinated and this is essentially one of the campaigns that was initiated from that um, leadership program. Um, So just very briefly, the Domestic Harmony launch is an initial step to an ongoing and consistent awareness campaign promoting domestic harmony and to speak out against any form of violence and abuse within the household. Um, And like you said, it is something which crosses boundaries of religion, culture, um, socioeconomic classes and even sexuality and it's for that reason that we need to speak very loudly and as a collective community against domestic violence. Um, so yeah. Thank you very much this is Zainab. Um, look I can't speak from the you know um, cultural background I guess of other people but I know from an, an Arabic um, uh, cultural background things like that are kept under under the surface. People don't talk about it. If it happens, they just sort of, you know, if it's, for example, a woman being abused by her husband, they just tell her, you know, he's your husband. You'll get used to it. He'll get used to it. He'll, he'll get used to you and he'll stop doing it. It's never seen as a big problem because, um, and I guess an outwardly happy marriage is much more important than fixing a problem. And this, of course, causes countless, um, you know, very um, negative stories like actual tragedies. Um, we were talking about uh, this before whether we should make this issue a, a general uh, issue of violence against women or w- w- whether we should sort of narrow it down to um, a Muslim issue or uh, an issue that Muslims have. And some people may say that, why is it that um, you know domestic violence uh, is always sort of linked to Muslims? This is stereotyping of, of all Muslim men being uh, violent towards their women, etc. And this is very true. It's very true that whenever uh, women are mentioned, they're always mentioned as being you know abused and, and oppressed by their husbands, by the men in their family, etc. And we know, we all know that it's not true, inshallah. Is it true, Zainab? No, no. No, is it true, uh, Maha? Well, that's not the statistics tell us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but uh, this does happen. Mm. In the Muslim community, uh, domestic violence does happen. And in the Muslim community, even though it happens uh, a little bit or it happens a lot, nobody talks about it, nobody uh, knows about it, and th- that's that's very wrong. And as Muslims as well, if we see something wrong, then we have to fix it. Yeah. Inshallah. Um, so, Sister Maha, um, tell me a little bit about the statistics. You mentioned statistics. 
So uh, please um, no give us problem. the numbers. Well, in terms of just a few quick facts about domestic violence in Australia, because um, I currently work for a government-funded organisation. So the statistics I have is based on um, Australian-wide research and not just specifically on Muslims. What we have found is that one in three women in Australia have or are experiencing some forms of domestic violence. So this includes a wide range of abuse, including physical, psychological, emotional, sexual, financial, isolation, spiritual abuse, those sorts of things. So it's a very broad definition of domestic violence. What do you mean when you say spiritual abuse? Well, um, a lot of the women that I have seen through work... um, are told that they cannot participate in community events. They cannot go to mosques when they want to hear classes and lectures by the sheikhs or the imams that they follow. Um, That they also cannot even dress in a particular way. So a lot of women who come from overseas, whether it be cultural or religious reasons, dress in a particular way. And that's usually a, a lot more covered than the women in Australia. And so when their husbands come to Australia and they see women on television, they see women out on the streets addressed a lot differently, then they expect their wife to also dress in that way. And so this is a form of spiritual abuse because they're not allowing her to practice her religion in the way that she wants to. Um, We also see the flip side. So women being forced to wear the hijab, women being forced to wear the niqab, women being forced to reject um, a particular belief um, and follow the father's or the grandfather's understanding of Islam. So it, it, is, it is a form of abuse and it's probably more common within religious communities than you know, mainstream communities. Another very interesting yet very sad statistic is that one in five homicides in Australia are related to domestic violence. So basically... How many, sorry? One in five. One in five. One in five. So one out of five murders in Australia is perpetrated against a former or current partner of the female. Mm. And all these statistics are based on females. And the reason for that is because over 90% of uh, victims of intimate partner violence is perpetrated predominantly by men against women and children. So this is why I use gendered language in order to reflect the statistics. So I'm not um, saying that violence does not occur by women towards men, um, but the statistics reflect that it's the, the women outweigh tenfold over that they are the victims of domestic violence. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's also interesting to know that New South Wales police respond to approximately 120,000 domestic family violence incidents caused each year. So that's a majority of their work. That's over 80% of their work. Um, They don't respond to murders and drug dealings and, you know, traffic offences and those sorts of things. You know, a lot of the police officers do get into that line of work to to do that. But um, obviously they get quite shocked when they realise that they have to go to people's homes and try to see what the problem is. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Um, Just a reminder to our listeners that if you wanted to call, contribute or ask any questions from our guests today, you can call us on 9724-3355. Or you can comment on the Twitter account or the Facebook page, uh, inshallah. Um, So going back to the um, your campaign, Domestic Harmony. So this is a strictly local campaign. 
Is mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Is it Sydney or Australia wide? Uh, well, there is something happening very similar to this in Victoria, mm-hmm. um, and I think they're also working something out in ACT as well. Okay. And is it in collaboration with you guys, or is it just something um, different? Uh, well, I th- I think across the states we are collaborating, um, mm-hmm. getting ideas, giving each yeah. other feedback yeah. um, about the campaign and how we can strengthen it, um, and also telling each other the experiences that we're facing and supporting each other because like you said there is a huge stigma around the issue bringing it to the forefront and to the platform that it deserves is very challenging um i've i mean i've experienced it already and i've seen the the negativity of some people um but also in saying that i've also seen the great support other people have given to Mm. giving this issue the platform it deserves um but i think with the stigma also like you mentioned i think this is an issue that happens across religions and cultures but i think with the muslim community it's particularly because we are demonized in the media that we have such a difficulty acknowledging that it's a problem and confronting it and t- and creating a culture which has zero tolerance towards yeah. it and creating awareness of it yeah. um so yeah just on that note, it's very interesting because one of the obstacles that Muslim women have at the moment is that um, they don't disclose domestic violence because they're wanting to protect the community's image. They understand that um, we have we don't have a good reputation at the moment, so they feel very reluctant to say to contact police to. Um, report to authorities that they are victims of domestic violence and need assistance because they're worried that they're going to be that other example that's going to be screened on television or, you know, just trashed in the media that, look, this is another poor, innocent Muslim woman who is a victim of domestic violence and this is what Islam and the Muslim culture promote. So it's it's one of the obstacles that I have seen in recent times as well in my line of work. Um, and, and so it, it's very challenging for women in that situation. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's actually quite unfortunate. I mean, um, it seems that many of the problems um, that we're facing, whether it's to do with domestic or violence towards women or other issues as well, mm-hmm. it always comes back to identity. So for the Muslim, Muslim woman who's abused by her family or, you know, by, by someone close, mm-hmm. this is the worst thing that she can go through because mm-hmm. on the one side, her family and her community are against her in this matter, even if it's not her fault at all. And on the other side, the media and, you know, uh, politicians and commentators, etc., are going to be against her as well. Or they're going to attack something which she holds dear, like her beliefs or, again, her cultural identity. Um, so it's... Again, the responsibility of the other members of the community, and uh, as you guys mentioned, the men, unfortunately. Particularly the leaders. Yeah. Particularly the leaders, um, mm-hmm. to basically come out and, and speak about this. Because mm-hmm. to say that we want, or I mean, for you guys, I'm guessing as well, to say that you want to stop domestic violence is impossible. It's like uh, the war on terrorism. You can't stop it. Um, but we can increase awareness of it. You can prevent it by educating people and by letting people know that there are so many services and support networks out there for you to reach. Um, And I think you're spot on with the community leaders being being really needing to step up and say, I, you have my support. And I think with this campaign, this is one of the aims and strategies that we want to see happen. We want to encourage the imams to talk about this regular, on a consistent basis, so not every week at the khutbahs, but on a consistent basis. Bring it up, say very explicitly and loudly, this is an issue, it's a serious issue, and we don't accept it, we don't tolerate it. Um, and also... 
I mean, particularly with the younger generation, it's also to get the younger men and women involved in creating an awareness. So seeing the Muslim Student Associations create have campaign awareness campaigns at universities, um, have a support network established so that if anyone does experience it, they have the confidence in the MSAs to come forward and say, I'm experiencing it, how can you help me? Um, so it's, I think there's, there's a huge amount we can actually do to create awareness of it and essentially prevent it from happening. Yeah, I think it's very important also that this is an Islamic initiative rather than a, a general Australian initiative. I mean, um, one, um, I guess, a common misconception or a commonly held belief is that any similar um, initiatives in nature done by Australians towards Muslims is always seen as an, an, an effort by Australians to dilute the identity of the Muslims. So whether it be, I mean, I'm just talking off the top of my head, it's not really there, whether it be campaigns to help Muslim women take off their hijabs or uh, campaigns to help Muslim men drink or whatever it is, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's always seen. I mean, I'm, I'm very sure that, you know, similar uh, projects and initiatives are designed to help Muslims. But for many Muslims, it's seen as being something negative and something which is to be rejected outright. So this being an Islamic initiative means that um, if it's somebody, be, uh, you know, uh, suffering abuse, whether it's a child or uh, a woman or, you know, in the very small percentage of those poor men getting beaten up by their wives. Um, you which know, is less than 1%. <laughs> still. <laughs> like, I think it, it, is, it is a very small number. Yeah, but so, they still suffer. I but mean. they still. do, they do, they do definitely, and that we definitely need to provide support and services for them as well. Mm -hmm. um, but we do have to remember that it's predominantly women that are the victims yeah, of yeah, domestic yeah. violence. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So again, I mean, because it's an, an Islamic initiative, because these uh, support networks are generally Muslims, uh, this can be a, a you know a great sort of. Um, way of introducing it to the Muslim community. But um, I do remember that a couple of years ago there was a, um, some research about d domestic abuse in the, in the Muslim community and the fact that even the shiuch of the mosques were actually advising the women to stay with their husbands and to put up with their husbands' violence, whether it's, you know, beatings or, or humiliation or drinking, etc. Yeah. Um, and even sometimes um, when the woman comes for a divorce, the husband, you know, convinces her to go because he tells her Jannah is under something, something. The husband and the wife have to be happy or you go to hell. She goes there, she gets beaten up again, and she goes to the hospital. And these are stories, real stories that I heard. I'm not giving examples yeah. here. And so, I mean, this, I guess, uh, is my next question. How do you know that w the, the networks that you're uh, providing and the people that you're getting to speak on your behalf are not just paying lip service? I mean, this is a, an integral problem. How do you propose to make this change? Um, well, I think there will be intensive screening of people that we want to join the campaign and bring it to the forefront. Um, I've spoken to a few people who I have doubts that can successfully take this message to where it needs like to be. Who? No, 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 names. Names. no, no, names. no, no, um, but I think equally important is to also get those people who support this um, together and have a community community consultation where the leaders actually talk about it frankly and this will be something that the leaders do together so this is without the public so this is where i i guess um frank discussion about um the repercussions about 
Shulcha's advice about a woman staying with her abusive husband um, and talking about what qualifications, what background, do you know what support services are there so that when somebody comes to you, you can refer them? What do you do in that situation? It's really, it's, it's, it's a, like I said, a frank discussion. I'm not sure that many people are going to be willing to do it though, but um, I think inshallah it would happen. I have to be very honest here and I, um, I question whether or not and inshallah, this doesn't sound disrespectful because I definitely respect um, authority. I definitely respect experience and studies and all those sorts of things. But I wonder whether or not community leaders actually understand domestic violence, whether or not they understand the, dom- the dynamics and the complexities of intimate partner relationship abuse. Um, and if that is then understood, then the process when women approach the community leaders for assistance, I think will be very different to what we have heard, whether it be through work, whether it be through family, um, whether it be through friends, because um, unfortunately there, there aren't many good stories out there. Women do not feel supported. Women actually feel like they're in the wrong and that they're somehow victimized further if they speak out against domestic violence. And this, this also falls in line with other types of abuse as well, um, not just in the Muslim community. The person who's, you know, suffering the abuse always thinks that it's his fault. Definitely. And that if yeah. you tell somebody. Definitely. And, Definitely. and unfortunately, um, this again, you know, falls be- beyond um, lines of culture or religion. Um, unfortunately, when many of these people suffering abuse tell others, whether it's family or anybody else, they're told to stay quiet. They're, they're mm-hmm. sort of convinced that it's their fault. And so I guess from this initiative, they will have someone who will support them in yeah. doing this. But again, I mean, in, in Arab culture, it's very normal to hit your kids. Um, I fortunately was not hit very much. But I remember at school, I mean, uh, it was, I mean, I had a friend who used to get beaten with a hose whenever he got bad marks. Mm. So then how are you going to propose to change a culture? It's a very interesting yeah. question. It's a very interesting question. I think I think it attitudes towards women and children need to be changed ultimately. I think innate attitudes towards um, towards your wife, towards your children, that needs to be possibly changed mm. um, I- because at the moment they're almost seen as um, belonging to them or their property, and so they feel that they are able to do what they want in however way they want and no matter what their feelings are so if if they're frustrated with their son not being an a-grade student then they can hit them um because yeah with a hose or with the shahita or with the belt or whatever that may be um but in order uh, do you know i i also find that arab people are quite proud and so and, and and as you mentioned it's all about image it's all about you know how you're perceived by your community. So I wonder why they need to, um, I don't know, discipline the child with a hose if they don't get good marks. I don't mm. understand that. I think I think there's a fine line between disciplining your children and some people say you can use physical force to do that and some people say no. And then there's a big difference between um, constantly doing it um, and intending to do it, intending to do it intending to do it um and i think also with muslims of arabic background i think the best way to perhaps change that culture is to reiterate what our prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam 
how he used to live. He never hit his wife, any of his wives, or any child or any other person. So I think living by that prophetic example, I think that's a very that's a very good way of changing the culture. And that's, again, one way of the culture, um, unfortunately, overriding the religion. Definitely. Definitely. And from a legal perspective, um, if a if a family member hits another family member, it is treated no differently than if a stranger hit that family member. And so I, I personally don't understand why people don't understand the difference, um, why they feel that it's okay for them, for, for the husband to hit his wife, yet if she was walking on the street and some random stranger came and hit her, then he would jump up and down, go, yeah. you know, want revenge and cause a civil war. But it's it's not seen as the same if he does yeah. it. I think what uh, you said uh, before, Maha, was, uh, you know, about the man uh, feeling as if his family actually belonged to him yeah. rather than, you know, yeah. them being sort of in a relationship. Yeah. That that yeah. falls into it as well. This is actually very interesting because uh, I don't I don't say a majority, but a large section of the community here, they were born here or they were brought up here. And so you would think that, you know, some, some of the um, Australian culture which you know coincides with Islamic values as well of respecting your family members and and you know protecting them and, and not actually causing them physical or other harm would would sort of you know be part of their lives. But mm. now you see, I mean, I've heard stories of a person who's born in Australia who gets married with a girl also who's born in Australia and then he's beating her up because she's not cleaning his clothes or or washing his dishes or making him dinner the way he likes it. So that's that's I think is tragic. A person who's born here and yet lives in such a a ghetto mentality that he thinks the way for him to be a proper man is to Mm -hmm. act the way, I guess, his his father did or the elders Mm -hmm. from his uh, uh, township back in wherever lived. I'm going to say Iraq. I'm not going to say Lebanon. (laughs) You know, this is is something that's very difficult, I mean, I guess, to to change. Uh, Is this something that you guys are looking at as well? Yeah, I think... um with Australian-born Muslims um, that unfortunately are abusive towards their spouse or their children, I think they also have their own sort of baggage they come with. So um, there's things that their parents didn't experience that they're experiencing. Um, This is no justification, of course, but it's perhaps one way, like you said, one reason why the Australian values, the Australian and Islamic values, haven't sort of... um, you know, been taken in very well. Um, okay, I just lost my thought. No. But, but with saying that, we have to remember what the statistics say, and that is that one in three women, Australian women, experience domestic violence. So when, when, domestic violence is not an isolated issue for Muslim communities. It is. It, it, it cuts, as you said earlier, it cuts across all cultures, all religions, all socioeconomic backgrounds. So um, I actually don't think that it's just an Arab Muslim issue. Um, It's actually a global issue and it's actually because of the patriarchal society that we live in. The fact that um, the media don't respect women. The fact that if you look, if if you... I can't watch movies the same way again. Like I just look at it and I see, oh my goodness, how look, look at the way how they're representing women in, in film, in television, in music, um, on billboards. They are literally sometimes objectifying them. And so um, if, if this is constantly in our society, then I don't understand how boys and men are going to respect their the women in their lives. Yeah. Sorry, and just an extension on that. I think it's even perpetuated in the household by sometimes 
the mothers so like spoiling the son and you know doing mm. everything for him mm. that in that essentially puts this idea that this is what I expect of my wife and if she doesn't do it I'm going to be very cranky that's very right and i think that um people who use culture for the, is an example of that so you i've seen a lot of women who say to me yes yes but this is part of our culture you know i meant to do this and so when i ask them uh, a little bit more about it like where did they get this idea from what makes them think that they have to be almost subservient to their um and and i mean this in that in a degrading manner i don't mean this in that you know a loving caring manner i mean this in that you know if if a husband treats his woman with the utmost disrespect and she's treated less than a human being um i i i do question where did she get that idea from and it's and it's usually passed down from generation to generation a lot of women from our backgrounds you know whether it be from the middle east or whether it be from you know asia or whatever that may be they haven't had the education or the opportunities to challenge these ideas so more often than not then they will just accept it they will just consider it to be part of their culture part of their family norm and this is passed on this is passed on regardless of whether you live in Australia now or or if you live in the USA or if you remain in Lebanon i think those beliefs those attitudes are still there and yep. they're the ones that need to be changed yep. thank you very much um sister maha i'd like to also ask you about um, your amazing trip to um south africa where you went to represent australia at the international youth summit today um but before we do that we're going to take a break and inshallah we're going to speak to a um very interesting person constable Danny Mikati hopefully we'll be able to get him on the phone he's the team leader for domestic violence and youth issues in Bankstown local area command so um we will take a 3 minute break inshallah and we will get back to you, uh then uh, until then assalamu alaikum malikul mulk la sharika lahu wa hadahu la ilaha illahu
Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Thank you very much for coming back. And um, inshallah, we are going to speak to um, Brother Danny soon. Uh, for now, just a reminder as well that, uh, again, if you want to make any phone calls to ask questions or to contribute, our number is 9724-3355. Otherwise, uh, you can try us through Facebook or the Twitter account. So we're going to, inshallah, cross over now to um, our White Ribbon Ambassador in Bankstown. Brother Danny, salam alaikum. Thank you very much for uh, coming on the program and for your time. No, it's my pleasure. So, um, uh, Brother Danny Mikati is the team leader for domestic violence and youth issues in Bankstown Local Area Command. Uh, he oversees all domestic violence related investigations. He also delivers domestic violence training to police and external agencies. And as I mentioned before, uh, he is the White Ribbon Ambassador for Bankstown. So, um, Brother Danny, can you tell us a little bit about your experience? First of all, how long have you had this role? Uh, well, the role of uh, what we've invested on I've had uh, for, I think, two and a half years. Um, but the role of uh, tenure of domestic violence I've had for just over four and a half years. Okay. And, um, how, I mean, did you take that position because there was a need to fill it, or was it uh, like a constantly available position throughout? Uh, in reference to the domestic violence position or the yes. white ribbon ambassador? Uh, no, no, in, in, in uh, reference to the uh, domestic violence. Yeah, well, every um, uh, police station in this state has a, a domestic violence specialist. Um, and uh, my position, because we have three full-time domestic violence officers, uh, is uh, also that of a supervisory role for those officers as well. Okay. And um, wh what is the sort of, I guess, the uh, types uh, and the level of domestic violence that's in Bankstown and in the area as well? Well, there's many different types of, uh, of domestic violence. Um, that includes all the way from verbal all the way to uh, physical assaults. Uh, so yeah. the main types of domestic violence um, start off with uh, 
psychological, uh, physical um, intimidation, social violence, um, cultural, and also sexual. Yep, yep. Um, and um, what about the uh, the white ribbon ambassadorship that you've decided to take? Is this is this something new as well? Yeah, this is a uh, that ambassador program is basically about men um, standing up and uh, swearing to to not uh, take part in any kind of violence against women, and also to speak up against uh, any any men who perpetrate domestic violence against women. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in in Bankstown, I mean, how much of a problem is it? I mean, I mean, I'm not sure. I don't live in Bankstown, but I'm guessing that there's some crime in it, um, <laughs> like, you know, drugs or whatever. I don't know what happens in in Bankstown. I never go there. I'm too scared. <laughs> 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 uh, no, no, they they have the best halal meat, so I do go there. But um, uh, I mean, in in terms of um, you know, comparing with other other types of crimes, um, yeah. how how significant is domestic violence in this area? Well, I can give you figures. Like, bearing in mind, uh, the Bankstown Buccaneer Command is probably, if not the largest, one of the largest in the entire state. Uh, we look over, we look after over two hundred and forty thousand people. Um, hence, we've got the largest uh, police station. Okay. So, our numbers are going to be significantly higher than most other places, just pretty much due to the population. Yep. Um, at the moment, I look after between two hundred and fifty to three hundred domestic violence reports a month. 200 to... To 300. That's that's quite a large number per month. Yeah, it is is a significant number. And is it it a certain community or is it just sort of um, scattered across different communities? No, as in every crime, it's just reflective of whatever the population you're in. Mm. Um, So, like any other crime, one thing with domestic violence is it definitely hasn't got uh, an ethnic or cultural um, factor. Yeah, uh, domestic violence pretty much exists wherever there's a relationship that's got an imbalance of power. Um, that's where then you'll find domestic violence. Yep. And um, how how destructive or how um, um, what are the effects, I guess you could say, of uh, domestic violence in the family and in the community? Is it just something that happens sort of in the house and it's uh, self-contained, or does it also uh, reverberate across the community? Well, I guess the main way it reverberates across the community is that it's usually passed on to the children. Um, so it's a continuous cycle, which is obviously quite dangerous um, for our future. Um, pretty much in these families where you've got... Uh, and probably, like, the main example I always will use will, will, will be the male as the perpetrator, because over 95% um, the male is the perpetrator of, of the domestic violence. So yeah. if we go to a standard family where a husband, wife and uh, two children, you'll find if the, the husband or the father is uh, a perpetrator of domestic violence and it's continuous, uh, the child will be psychologically affected by that violence as he grows up and, and his brain develops. Um, and it will bring him to the point where he will, it will shape his views on how to treat not just his partner in the future, but women in general. Um, it's more about the perception of what uh, a woman is to that, to that boy as he grows up, from what he, the way he sees his father treat um, you know, the significant woman, which would be his mother during his life. Yep. So as that gets passed on, and that creates the cycle of violence, and it's very hard to stop that once it starts, which is why we try to prevent it from the very beginning. The social aspects of it will be, of course, that um, usually these women that, or these victims of domestic violence are usually isolated mm-hmm. from the rest of the community. Uh, for many, many reasons, they, uh, they feel they can't integrate. Sometimes the husband stops them from integrating. He won't let them attend you know, education or work or anything like that, so they can, she can be contained in the home. 
where he knows she won't be able to tell her story to other people. Um, so there's all kinds of social factors as well, let alone the financial, you know, factor that costs, you know, uh, us as a, a citizens, you know, with our tax in the, in the government sort of ways of all the different programs that are, and services that are available to fight domestic violence. And like I said, it's quite significant numbers. So it really affects every kind of strata of society. Yeah, yeah. Um, and as a, um, a White Ribbon Ambassador, um, what yeah. is it that, that you're sort of entitled, not entitled, what, what is it that, you're sh that you should be doing? Well, what, the, the main roles I have is basically to educate and raise awareness of uh, violence against women, and in particular domestic violence. Um, a lot of my role involves, uh, you know, doing presentations, guest lectures, that kind of stuff, and training yeah. uh, in terms of domestic violence. Yeah. And have you taken the oath or...? Have you sworn? Yes, uh, I'll take the oath uh, every, every usually on on on, on, uh, on this day. Okay. Um, usually, usually attending events, but uh, yeah, we took the oath a few years ago when I was first sworn in as a white ribbon ambassador, and it fits it fits very much in line with uh, what I do for a living. So it's, it's not a big stretch for me. Yeah, and um, do you also put your hand on the Quran as well when you? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, that's good. Uh, Brother Danny, Jazakumullah khair, and thank you very much for coming on the show. No worries at all. Thank you for having me. No worries. And that was Brother Danny Makati, the team leader for domestic violence and issues in Bankstown Local Area Command. So um, I guess he must have uh, checked out because he said that you do very close yeah, um, yeah. screening. Yeah. So he's a good guy. So if I'm in Bankstown and I get robbed by somebody... Just call Danny. Call Danny. Okay, but of course that's not domestic violence. So he probably wouldn't want that to be honest. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, inshallah. So uh, going back to Sister Maha, uh, you say, first of all, um, I'd like to get into your experiences here before we go overseas. Um, so your role is basically providing legal advice and representation in family and civil law matters, along with providing community legal education across New South Wales. You also advocate for legislative and systematic change for the benefit of victims of domestic uh, violence. So, um, tell us a little bit about this, this advocating for legislative and systematic change. What does that mean? Um, basically, Australia is a lot more advanced when it comes to protecting women um, from a legislative and enforcement perspective. So, the laws are quite clear in that um, violence against women and children, or any forms of domestic violence really, is a crime. Um, and not many countries around the world have this. So, I mean countries in the Middle East, countries in Africa. Um, it's not even, it's, they're not, women are not even protected in that sense. So, we're very fortunate that we've got those systems in place. Um, but because I work for a community legal centre, um, which is independent from the government, we always feel that there's always room to improve. And if there's a issue within the current system, so whether it's the way in which things are carried out or whether it's a policy issue with the police or with the, through the, um, the courts or the legislation itself, then we do a lot of law reform. And what that basically is, is that we write up a lot of submissions and we send them to the appropriate persons within the government to, to say that it should be changed. Yeah, and sounds, we give uh, recommendations. That's very boring. I personally am not a big fan of law reform and policy, but I, I do recognise the importance. I think it's it it can um, it can change a lot for for everyone. 
Uh, okay, that's great. Okay, so then um, tell us then um, about your trip. Okay, so you're telling me here that uh, in 2010 you went to re represent Australia at the International Youth Summit in South Africa to discuss the issue of violence against women and children at a global scale. Yeah. So as a result of the summit, you also are cur uh, currently coordinating the, a project with the women, with women's called Safe in Our Place which provides uh, targeted training and information to community and settlement workers. So again, tell me about your trip to South Africa. Was it fun? It was amazing. It was possibly one of the best experiences of my life. So I, South Africa I've, isn't dangerous. It's well, we were really protected. So we were always around people and I had my colleague there and we were never left alone. So it was... It, I felt quite safe. Um, Africa is a beautiful place. But getting back to why we were there, um, basically UNICEF, the World Cup, um, United Nations, all those major organisations had funded this international campaign called Man Up. And it had invited youth from around the world to come together to talk about violence against women and girls and, and ways in which we can eradicate it. So we don't want to reduce it, we want to stop it completely. Um, and there we heard from a lot of prominent figures. So we heard from some amazing people, like one of the women I met was Leima Gabel, which is this year's Nobel Peace Prize winner. What's her name, sorry? Leima Gabelli. She know. is from originally from Liberia. Okay. And she had she was possibly one of the leaders in ending the civil war in Liberia and promoting women's rights. Wow. It, yeah, it was <laughs> just, it's amazing. Okay. If she is just an incredible woman, like Michelle, she is just the strength that she had and the way that regardless of what tribe you're from, regardless of what religion you come from, the women came together to put an end to the corrupt rulings in Liberia. So I was really inspired by this. I was thinking, how can Sapala, this woman who stood up to one of the the biggest aggressors this world has ever seen. So this person, the um, the leader in that country, even if you looked at him in the wrong way, he will order you to be dead. This is Charles Taylor. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And and so, um, and if if these women were able to stand up towards the injustices within Liberia, and 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 talked about wanting women's rights and wanting to end the civil war, then why can't I do something back home yep. when, alhamdulillah, I have been blessed with so many opportunities um, and women here are able to do what they want to do. And so this is why my colleague and I came up with this idea called Safe in Our Place. Safe in Our Place originated in order to, uh, as you said, to educate community and settlement workers about domestic violence and to really uh, shift their perspective about domestic violence within CORD, which is culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. Okay, yeah. Because they're the, they're, they're the, they're the gatekeepers. Yeah. Okay, Jazakum Allah Thank you. And I wish you all the best, inshallah, for this. Um, it's, it's actually very true that uh, we're very fortunate uh, to be living in Australia, alhamdulillah, a thousand times. I know politically and culturally there's a lot of things that we're not happy with Australia's role in places overseas and many problems we have here. But the fact remains that this project would not have been possible to carry out in a third world country. Definitely. It and, was funded by the government. And this was funded by the government, which I guess takes a bit away from its uh, credibility, but we won't, we won't mention <laughs> that. Um, alhamdulillah, that's very good. Um, and I remember also that... Um, 
uh, in terms of travel as well, um, you know, our Mufti, sorry, um, Dr. Ibrahim Muhammad was asked once whether a woman can travel or, or not on her own, for example, from New Zealand to Australia or something like that. And he mentioned that the conditions for women traveling with the mahram were only if the place where she, she was traveling to or through was dangerous. And he gave a hadith as well that um, Prophet said that at some point in the future there will be it will be so safe that a woman is able to travel from Yemen, I think, to Iran or to Syria or something um, with a, a basket of gold on her head and she will only have fear from the wolves in the night. So that means that you know in the hadith it's never mentioned that the woman had to be with a mahram and this i think um is a brilliant interpretation of of islamic jurisprudence i'm not trying to uh, sort of uh, you know um i was very safe <laughs> no no i'm not saying about no, yourself no, but yeah. i'm just saying i mean uh, as a way of making life easier and of looking at, at Islamic uh, concepts uh, sort of mm. objectively, this is as well very important because when you, uh, Maha, mentioned uh, spiritual uh, abuse, this is something very interesting because a lot of people, not, not women, a lot of people have very little knowledge about Islam. And when you tell them the hadith says this, that's it, it's black and white. The hadith says this, that means that's, that's what I've got to do. And women and men find themselves in sort of, um, you know, religious... Uh, lockdown where they can't really do anything the only way for them to do something is the way that they understood it or their um, husbands or others um, interpreted it for them and this makes it very difficult for them as well I mean there was always the issue before of um, marital um, rape and you know a lot of people would say this is um, you know uh, it is a thing it is a crime it's not supposed to be done and, and another person would come out and say oh no hold on she's his wife how can it be rape if it's his wife and you know this again comes back into sort of religious and um, religious leaders reinterpreting or even interpreting because a lot of these interpretations have been taken out of their cultural and religious context to make things more difficult whether out of spite for women probably not it's probably out of uh, ignorance or out of um, uh, an effort to you know stay true to what you perceive your religion to be so how um, uh, Zainab how do you propose to speak to religious leaders about this there's a lot of a hadith which actually make life very difficult for for women and for the family as well because the man is sort of seen as having to do certain things as well hmm. I guess with coming to religious leaders um, I've spoken to a few, and in particular, particularly with rever- um, with reference to verse four in Surah An-Nisa, um, I I've sort of implied that you need to reinterpret it because there are a lot of people who unfortunately are not God fearing, and when they look at that verse, um, they think, well, this gives me a license to hit my wife. Can or- you please? Um- uh, illustrate, I mean, or can you clarify which which verse in Surah Tanisa? Um, the fourth, I mean, no, not the fourth, the 34th, okay. 34th Surah. Yeah, please continue. In Surah Tanisa. Um, so that's the one which says if they are disobedient to you, um, this is a very literal translation and I'm not giving, this is just like a rough thing. Um, if they are disobedient to you, you... Um, you beat them lightly. Yeah, I mean, the end of it is essentially beat them lightly with something light or like tap them. But the reality of the matter is when somebody, when a husband or a man is angry and frustrated, he's not going to 
touch somebody. He's going to use his fist and it's going to hurt. And it's going to have very serious, um, devastating repercussions on the on the victim. Um, and I think that's really, really important to actually get the religious leaders to talk about it together amongst themselves and say, hey, you might interpret it this way, but when you do it, this is what's happening. Do you not see the importance of needing to reinterpret it or interpret it this way? Um so yeah, it's like I said, we need to have a frank discussion about um, how hadiths and verses are interpreted in light of, um, you know, the cultural and societal contexts. Yeah. So again, uh, just clarifying, when you say reinterpret, you mean clarify, because we don't want to change yeah, yeah. an interpretation yeah. of an ayah or a hadith for a um, a convenience of ours. Yeah. No. But it's it's from the background that um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not going to cause um, oppression to anyone, uh, yeah. be it men, women or children. Mm-hmm. And so the the hadith or the ayah has to be um, I guess interpreted in that way. Yep. Yeah, inshallah that's very good. Um Sister Maha you also are the currently the executive member with Mission of Hope and the social justice projects coordinator with the Justice and Arts Network. Your role names are really long. <laughs> SubhanAllah. Alhamdulillah. So um, tell us as well, is, is uh, Mission of Hope also sort of taking part in this initiative? Mission of Hope has always had a strong stance against domestic violence and they've produced a number of different resources for mainstream workers as well as Muslim workers um, in ways to deal with it when they have Muslim clients. Um, only because... Mission of Hope understood that when a Muslim woman approaches a non-Muslim worker and says, well, this is part of my culture, this is part of my religion, um, what, they, what they generally do is they, they don't want to be disrespectful. And so they accept that reasoning. So this is why we produce this resource, to say, no, this isn't an accepted practice within Muslim communities or Islam in general. Yeah. Okay, great. Jazakumullah khairan. Yes, please go ahead. Uh, If people are interested in looking at the resources that Mission of Hope has produced, they're more than welcome to go onto our website. Um, I can't recall the exact web- website, but just feel free to Google it. It's Mission of Hope Australia, <laughs> and hopefully that would um, link them into the appropriate place. Inshallah, that's... Um very good representation. It is very late on a Friday night. <laughs> yeah, no, no worries, inshallah. Alhamdulillah. I mean, you're not going to get any abuse from me. Khair, <laughs> um, inshallah. Uh, we're almost at the end of our show. Um, so, uh, Sister Zainab, do you have anything to finish up with? Um, I guess just one thing I'd like to say is that um, we are very, very good at pointing out and talking continuously about the external forces which oppress our community. Um, I think it's time we talk about the oppression that's happening within the community and by community members. Um, yeah, that's exactly right. And and if I can also, if if women are experiencing domestic violence and just want some legal advice, um, the the service that I work for, Women's Legal Services, we have a number of different programs. So we've got a free telephone legal advice service. We have free face-to-face legal advice and it's all confidential. So if they, if they did want to make an appointment to see a solicitor, they can contact 8745-6900 in order to get the appropriate details. Okay. And this is the number for the, what is it called again? Women's Legal Services New Women's South Wales. And it's 8745-6970. 
6900. 6900, sorry about that. That's yeah. So 8745-6900. That's right, thank you. All right, great. Um, I'd just like to mention two um, narrations of a hadith that I remember off the top of my head. One of them, I mean, this again is for violence against women and for domestic violence. One of them is that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi when he used to pray, uh, Al-Hasan wal Hussein anhu, when they were kids, they used to play with him while he was praying. And so when he would make ruku', they would sort of sit on his back and his head. And he would just stay in ruku' and he wouldn't sort of get up and beat them up or, you know, run after them with a belt because they didn't have belts at the time. But also it wasn't the nature of the Prophet The Prophet also had uh, a servant uh, who he bought as a slave, but he never treated as a slave. He actually treated him so well that when uh, the, the slaves, I think it's Zaid bin Thabit, I'm not sure, don't quote me on this. When, when uh, the slave's uh, father found him, and wanted to buy him back, the Prophet ﷺ just gave him away because he said, I don't own you. But the slave didn't want to go back with his father. He wanted to stay with the Prophet ﷺ because he loved living with him so much. He said that in 14 years, the Prophet ﷺ never became angry with him and never um, you know, asked him, why did you do this or why didn't you do this? Now again, we all know the uh, Khalifa Umar, عنه, who is known to be quite um, uh, loud uh, and quite... Um, aggressive uh, and you know he was the sahabi uh, and the khalifa who was sort of you know people were fear feared the most because he was so you know um his his manner was just so you know um assertive uh, once a sahabi was going to visit him to ask him a question about his wife because the sahabi's wife was screaming at him a lot and he was getting very fed up with it so he goes to his house and he hears the wife of umar عنه, screaming at him and telling him off and Umar is just sort of sitting in the background, not doing anything. And so the man felt a bit embarrassed and walked away. But Umar heard him. And when he opened the door, saw him, he said, you know, what can I help you with? The man said, you know, I came to talk to you about my wife, but your wife is giving you more hell than my wife. So Umar said, you know, my wife, she, she takes care of us. She loves us. She is, you know, depends on us for protection. And sometimes they're, you know, with their emotions and stuff, they, they want to scream at us. This may be a bit, um, I don't know, um, not fascist what's the word sexist yeah anyways that's the way they thought before so even with um you know with with the khalifa uh and with the prophet there was no narration at all of them being the least bit aggressive in word or deed or any other way towards their their women because they understood this um um i guess this this formula of, of protection and of mutual respect because otherwise you can't have a healthy relationship you can't love someone and expect them to love you back if they expect your hand to be uh, striking them um, so inshallah um, we can we can remember that and um, all the brothers listening to this as well can uh, remember that is there a way for me to be um, uh, what do you call it the white ribbon ambassador or yeah you can just go on the website whiteribbon.org oh, okay. just tell me I can't it's fine <laughs> Of course you can. <laughs> okay, alhamdulillah, that's good. Khair, inshallah. Um, so just go to the website, wipedriven.org. And yeah, and then you'll fill out a nomination form and you'll, yep. somebody will be a, refer- a referee. Yeah. And um, that should be it. Um, but then it's a continuing effort, so creating yep. awareness and that sort of thing. Inshallah. Okay, great. So um, now we've come to the end of our show. Jazakum um, Allah khair. And thank you very much to Sisters Zainab Hawa for coming and uh, speaking to us. 
Thank you for having me. Nice. And uh, Sister Maha Najarin as well. Thank you very thank much you. for coming and providing information. And uh, to our dear listeners, uh, thank you also for listening and uh, for your contributions. And um, if you have any questions at all, uh, we are giving out the number again, 8745-6900 for the women's... Women's Legal Services. Women's Legal Services, yes, inshallah. It's a women's only... A women's only service provider. Uh, service provider, yes. Yeah. Um, now it's time for the news in Arabic, and we will see you inshallah next week uh, from the presenter of the program, Abdel Nasser Khatib. Thank you very much for listening, and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.